Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet. All hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Uh, Thank you so very, very much. Uh, Welcome to Harlem America. And I am G. Keith Alexander. And I just want to let you know that today's episode, we've got the, the, the wonderful... I mean, this, this guy is an icon uh, of fashion, an icon of Harlem. And I just want to tell you that, that Dapper Dan pioneered high-end streetwear in the 1980s, remixing classic luxury brand logos into his own innovative, glamorous designs. But before he reinvented Haute Couture, he was a hungry boy with holes in his shoes. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you Mr. Dapper Dan, and he's going to tell us his story, and a lot of his story uh, we'll find in Dapper Dan Made in Harlem, a memoir, and this book right here is a fantastic book. I'm telling you, once you start reading it, you won't put it down, and ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Dapper Dan. How you doing, Dap? I'm doing great, Keith. Thank you for having me, man. Oh, man, let me tell you, I've been wanting to have you for a long time, and I'm glad that uh, we uh, have uh, had this opportunity to get together. So let's take the, the Wayback Machine, and let's go back to your early childhood. Tell us a little bit about your early childhood. I think you were on 129th and Lexington Avenue uh, here in uh, Harlem. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, keep you know, I think I was, I lived, the building that I live in, I was raised in was the last building like uh, on Lexington Avenue. Mm -hmm. I was a stone's throw from the Harlem River. Really? You know, so we grew up really poor. So we didn't we couldn't afford to like go to swimming pools and things like that. So we used to swim in the Harlem River, you know, (laughs) and um, in our underwear because nobody would buy spend no money on no bathing suit. So whenever we wanted to go swimming. We would swim in the Harlem River. And, and um, when I was growing up, before I even started swimming in the Harlem River, we used to go down to the banks of the Harlem River because they had part of it was a dock and then part of it was like uh, a bank. And we'd go down to the bank of the river and scoop up clay and, and make figurines. And at this time, there was a shanty town uh, on the bank of the river, you know? And the hobos used, that used to be there in this little shanty town, <laughs> because we're so poor, and they had all these vacant buildings. And because the east side where I grew up at was a lot, of, still a lot of industrial buildings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they had like been vacant. Mm-hmm. And the hobos taught us how to go up in the buildings, rip the wires out, burn the wire, the coating on the wire to get to the copper, and take brass and show how to use a magnet to tell what the metal was made out of. And we would burn it to get the covering off. And then we take a rock and put it inside and ball it up and take it to Zinzi's. Zinzi's was like on the east side. They had a place that bought all the, all, all the things like that. So it was mm-hmm. really a, a really poor experience. But from a little guy, from a little guy on, you know, I paid attention to different ways to make money. And that was pretty much set the tone for my life because... I had holes in my shoes, you know. Uh, the only time I I got new clothes was when my mother hit the number. 
And that was like, yeah, you know, the policy, yeah. The, yeah. she hit the number. You know, uh, I remember I was so embarrassed one day. My mother's friend saw me and I had, my mother had hit the number and I had some new shoes, right? And and he looked down at my shoes. He said, uh-oh, Lily Day must have hit the number. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what life was like, you know? And, 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 and how many uh, brothers and sisters did you have? Okay, it was nine of us all together with my parents. I had three brothers that were older than me and three sisters uh, that were younger than me. Perfect balance, you know? Uh, so I'm learning from both ends. And then I had my mother and father. Uh, our partner, it was like nine of us in a three-bedroom apartment. And we made it work, you know? Um, at the time, you know, as a young boy, you wanted a lot of things, man. But as you got older, and I got to know a lot of people and hear about a lot of experiences, man. And I wouldn't trade that for all the things that other people had, all those little uh, privileges other people had. And the joy was amazing. Wow. You know, well, yeah. you know I, I, like I said, I was going through your book, and mm -hmm. uh, there, there was a story in there about one of your brothers who found a way to get around uh, well, he, he sort of beat the Bible, so to speak. Can you tell us that story? Oh, boy, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Okay, listen to this, right? My mom worked hard. My mom come from, like, Bishopville, South Carolina. Population, when she left, between five and 6,000, right? Population today, five and mm. 6,000. Mm. My father come from Emporio, Virginia. Population, when he left, five and 6,000. <laughs> Population today, five and 6,000. So... This is like my parents come from tiny town, USA, right? Right. So they come from Holy Ghost places. So when my mother hit, when they came up here, we had, we was deep, deep. I mean, we was neck deep in the Holy Ghost stuff, you know, when they was raising us because we was born here. So let me tell you something, right? But my mother put us in Catholic school. Mm -hmm. So we got this, this crazy balance. You go to Holy Ghost and you... To the, to, the, to the Holy Ghost Church with my mother and my uncle and all, and everybody shouting, screaming. But we go to Catholic school, and everything is so quiet in there, you know? You know, it was spooky to me because you hear, you see smoke, then you see somebody hit the bell, ting! <laughs> so <laughs> it's just contrary. But so anyway, I come from a family like, um, if you did something wrong, my mother would say, get the Bible. The Catholic Church scared the hell out of me. You know, Holy Ghost, I could talk to Jesus, you know, but the Catholic Church scared the hell out of you, you know, that's too personal for me with Jesus, you know. So what happened was we was petrified of, with telling lies. So whenever something happened, my mother said, get the Bible, and you had to swear on the Bible, you didn't do it. Now, we used to ration food, and my brother went in the Frigidaire, icebox, we didn't have Frigidaires there, went in the icebox and took something out that he shouldn't have took. And my mother said, okay, get the Bible. I went and got the Bible and came back. And then my brother had to put his hand on the Bible and swear to God, right? <laughs> we never did. My brother put his hand on the Bible and swear to God he didn't do it. Oh, man. Hey, Keith, <laughs> I was terrified. I said, oh, you going to, after my mother left, I said, you going to hell. I said, you going to hell, man. Don't you know you going to hell? Why you lying on that Bible? Then my brother this changed my whole life. My brother said, you know what I did, Danny boy? He said, I said, because my, my family called me Danny boy. He said, I said to myself, I swear to God, mom, I didn't take that out the fridge, out the icebox, right? And he said, then I said to myself two days ago, because it happened last night. And he put his hand, he had his hand behind his back and his fingers crossed. So 
he found a way to get slick on Jesus, you know? And that was it for me, man. That, that little, <laughs> to see my brother do that there, man, that had never happened in my family, you know? None of the siblings, none, me and none of our siblings, we was petrified of that, that Bible, man. Swearing on that Bible, that was big to us, you know? <laughs> so, so that was a... So at the, what made you, uh, at the age of 27, I believe it was, or 37, 37 at the age of 37, think that you wanted to open up a custom clothing boutique? Well, you know, um, prior to that age, you know, I was, I uh, was in the street. Uh, I, I, it started when I, uh, it all began, I think, when I got a look at what the street was like through the eyes of my cousins who lived in the building above me and uh, my brothers. And I got caught up in the street life, selling drugs and doing all the street hustle. And um, I, I got uh, arrested. Uh, and when I got out, I, I was in there like 90 days. And when I was in there, I was locked up with one of the guys who had a, a was a, allegedly uh, one of the guys who's supposed to have uh, assassinated Malcolm. And and I saw the way that he was treated and the life that he had. I say, you know what, man? I'm never going back to that again. I went back to the street, but I said, I'll never go to jail ever again for uh, selling drugs and doing things to my own community like that. So that embarked me on a career of, you know, just street things. And I, I, and I switched over from drug dealing to becoming a professional gambler. But I'm going through, my roots is, is coming back at me. And I'm going through this like psychological change, this spiritual transformation. So I don't want to, I don't want to have nothing to do with the street life, the drugs, you know, and then I was a professional gambler. I start, I start turning off to that. So I said, I needed to, to engage myself in something that could make people feel good. And I remember, man, how whenever you could afford to get an outfit, you know, how good it made you feel, the transformation it gave you. So I said, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. So how I started that was, uh, you know, pretty much with my, my criminal mind. You know, <laughs> they, had, they had these boosters who used to go out and steal clothes. Uh -huh, and, uh -huh. and they'd ask me to drive them. So I'd drive them, you know. And they pay me, it was two of them. They pay me $50 a piece, right? Mm -hmm. And then everything they boost, you know, they took out the stores. I get that for 20, 25% or whatever the tag said, you mm -hmm. know? So after 30 days, you multiply, you know, uh, $50 a piece in 30 days, just from <laughs> them alone, I had 3,000. And then I got all the clothes that I bought from them that I was selling, you know, at 50% of the tag. And I was paying them 25%. So after 30 days, I had enough money and I started, you know, to buy stuff wholesale and, and selling clothes out my, out, out my car. And, and from that, it just, you know, it's just a mushroom. I just keep looking at different ways to advance myself in selling clothes, you know? But, but, but you weren't a tailor, but you, you, you I mean, how, how did you become a tailor and you weren't trained to be a tailor? I mean, how, how did that happen? Keith, the, the key, you know what the key was, man? After I, um, after I came off home from that, 90 days incarceration, I thought about an incident that took place with me and my father. Like I, I told you earlier, like I never had new clothes and stuff like that. 
this was the one year that I was going to have a new outfit, right? And my father took, remember Ripley's department oh, stores? Yes. My yeah. father, yeah, my father took me to Ripley's department store when he used to be on 25th Street, like Sam, right? And uh, I was in the eighth grade, I remember. And I had just learned the uh, uh, calculations for how you calculate interest, you know? <laughs> so my father was going to get the suit on interest, right? So before my father signed, I said, Daddy, how much, how much, let me see the contract. And when I saw the contract and how much he's going to pay, I said, Daddy, you're going to end up paying three times what the suit was worth. Wow. I say, uh, Daddy, forget it. Let's go. And when we left, right, my father only went to the third grade and he had taught himself how to read, you know? And we're coming down the stairs from Ripley and my father grabbed me and he had like tears welling up in his eyes. He said, boy, don't you know you could read? <laughs> he said, don't you know you could read? You know, and I, I'm not getting this because you got to look at it. My father's born in 1898, 33 years after the Emancipation Proclamation. So now I'm capturing his mind on what this struggle is about and how my father taught himself to read. You know, and I, all that came to me when I'm turning my, my life around. I said, you know what? Anything I want to learn, you know, and I read Malcolm X, his book, uh, Malcolm Speaks. Mm-hmm. And in his speech, and one of the speeches to the grassroots, Malcolm says, if you want to understand the flower, study the seed. So from that point on, when I said anything I wanted to get involved in, I said, I went and got a book. And I read my way into everything that I ever wanted to accomplish, even gambling. I read professional books really? on by John Scarney. He was the world's <laughs> foremost uh, uh, person on gambling. So everything that I wanted to know, I read. So I read everything I could find on fashion, everything. And so I taught myself the whole business. Really? Incredible. Yes. And then, mm-hmm. so, so you gambled with the gangsters and won their money. Yes. And, and you used, did you use that money to open up your shop? Exactly. Yes. Wow. Incredible. Well, yeah. all right. So now, when, when you opened up your boutique, yes. and you kept it open for 24 hours a day, was yeah. that exhausting? Well, you know what? I told you my, my parents come from Tiny Town, USA. You know, and so... I'm the first generation of the great migration that came that come out of the South. Mm-hmm. So my father was never was only late one time for his job. In 15 years, he was only late one time. And that was the great snowstorm of 1947. And he was never absent. So that work ethic, me and all my siblings had that work ethic, you know, plus I was a street hustler and um, it didn't bother me. So I built a little apartment in the back of my store so that I could be available for the you know the gangsters because gangsters had they have all these crazy hours you know so yeah. I say I want to I want to make myself available for them for whenever they come you know so I would be there or either I had my nephew there and we was I was on twenty four hours a day three hundred sixty five days for ten years straight you know and um the reason why I catered to the gang to the gangsters is because when I opened up my store middle class blacks would not buy from me you know they was like too uppity you know i mm-hmm. no bourgeoisie ever came in my store it's like nah you know and so um i said you know what man i'm catered to the people who don't see the american structure the same way middle class blacks do <laughs> you know and, yeah and so they are and plus i was selling luxury so they had the money you know and um 
they don't care what, uh, you know, what mainstream America say is nice. So it was the perfect scenario. And that's how I built my business off them. Well, wow. Well, we've got less than uh, two minutes now before we go to break, but I just want to remind people that I'm holding this book, Dapper Dan made in Harlem, a memoir, Daniel R. Day. This is an incredible book that uh, talks about uh, your beginnings and, and uh, how you got started. And we're going to, delve more into it once we come back from our break. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for being with What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. And our special guest today is the one and only Mr. Dapper Dan, who is the godfather of high-end hip-hop streetwear. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. Thank you. Harlem, Harlem, America. Harlem. Harlem is my tech. Where Chase is advancing Black Pathways. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. Harlem America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero. You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Well, okay, so uh, I want to uh, now talk about... um, I want to talk about your spirituality and how yeah. and how you were able to um, sort of reinvent yourself. You 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 went to Africa, and what did you do when you went to Africa? How did that help you? Well, when when I dropped out the street, like when I told you, I didn't want to be part of the street hustle before I opened up the store. I said, I got to go find myself, you know. I was in uh, the Urban League's educational program for uh, young people where they put you in a street academy, a, uh, uh, like a academy, like, in fact, where the five percenters started at, mm-hmm. that building that they are in, that was one of the street academies. So they had like oh, really? these storefront schools. And I went back to the storefront school. And at, the, at that time, Dr. Ben Jockerman was teaching there. Mm-hmm. Dr. Henry Clark was teaching there, you know, so it was this program to get, you know, corner kids like myself out the street and into school. So I went to the street academy. Then you go from the street academy to the academy in transition at Church of the Masters. on, And from there, you get a scholarship to go to Newark Prep. So I went through all those channels. 
But in the process of going through those channels, right, uh, 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 a transformation took place, right? Mm-hmm. I started writing for a radical newspaper called 40 Acres in a Mule. This is 1968. Wow. So, um, you know, the people in the Urban League played, uh, started paying a lot of attention to me. I got a, a, a lot of attention from the, the students who used to come over uh, from Columbia University and people from Random House and New York Times and Daily News. We had all these people helping us on our editorial board to write articles in this radical newspaper. And so as a result of writing in there, people took notice and I got the opportunity through the 40 Acres in a New newspaper to go to Africa and, and to explore our roots. The, the program was called, um, Who Are We? And so it was 23 of us got the opportunity to go and live in Africa, live in huts, live with families, no hotels, really? huts, families and places like that. So we went to Tanzania, Ethiopia, Sudan, Somali, Nigeria, Liberia, Egypt, Ethiopia, you know, and Ghana. So uh, it was a hell of an experience for me. And it happened at an amazing time because the young people, the people who were younger than me, like for two or three years, they hadn't hit the street yet. So I had already seen the devastating effect that street could have you. So my mind was already open. But the biggest part of all of that was what Dr. Henry Clark said. Now, this is the editorial board. And one of the young students like myself asked Dr. Henry Clark, he says, you know, because he come there and lecture us about racism and, and how to navigate in America. And one of the students actually said, well, if we're the original people on the planet, why are we going through everything we're going through now, you know? And Dr. Henry Clark, this is, the, this is the statement that changed my whole life. Dr. Henry Clark says, that's because of a transgression we made against ourselves before Europeans came into our life. Wow. He never elaborated on that. But this was part of the trip. Because when we were on the trip, the purpose for us going to Africa was to find out our roots. Mm-hmm. We went to Tanzania, to Ngorongoro Crater, where they found Luciat, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. So, and from there, we traveled up the Nile to Egypt, you know? So this whole trip was to enlighten us about what really happened. So as a result of that, my whole perception of how we got into this situation changed. And so I looked at slavery, not as the cause, but part of the effect mm. that took place as a result of what happened when we was in Africa, you I know? See. And so that changed my whole life. And then I, I had to like keep that to myself for a long time because um, at this time in the sixties, it was like a popular saying to blame white folks for everything that happened to you, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had a different perspective on that. Of course they were doing damage to us now, but we set, I learned from the street, you can't set yourself up for people to take advantage of you. And so exploring what Dr. Henry Clark was saying, I said, okay, this is where I need to be. So I went out, you know, so from there, like I came back, you know, went to prep school, left for prep school, got a scholarship to Iona College, went to Iona College, you know, and then I felt ready. And all my reading and all my studying, I did on my own. My perception of, of an education was different from 
that what I had learned growing up. I found out most of the tools that you get from a general uh, uh, education is not really for education, it's vocational, mm-hmm. you know? So all the reading I did on my own, I look for ways to enlighten myself, you know? You know, so I read a lot of philosophy and religion and everything. So that elevated me to where I can sit down and have conversations with people who thought about things like that. So I'm living in these two worlds, Keith. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm serving gangsters, you know? Right. (laughs) You know? And I'm reading Aristotle, Plato, (laughs) Socrates, you know, Pythagoras, you know? uh, And so, but I'm, I'm in a lonely place. I don't have nobody to talk to, you know what I mean? So... In the daytime, I'm reading philosophy. At mm-hmm. night, I'm hearing about murders. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. When you read the when you read the book, it's it's like you know, and it's a it it, it was a you know, Keith. That has been like in that situation up until four years ago. Really, I had no no engagement with people outside of my community, other than through books. I had to learn how to pronounce words. I read all the words in the world. But I had to learn how to pronounce words by um, watching all news all the time. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, for pronunciation. I knew what the hell they meant. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so um, that's what I did. I, I, when I was in prep school, I had a, I remember having a, a she was fascinated. An, a, my uh, English teacher in prep school, she says, what, what do you do when you get up? I say, man, maybe I listen to Frankie Crocker with G. Keith Alexander though. She said, how could you get up in the morning and listen to Frankie Crocker with G. Keith Alexander and you don't know what's happening in the world? You know? She said, suppose they killing everybody out there. You will listen to G. Keith Alexander and, and, and Frankie Crocker? She says, so from that point on, I listen to all news all the time. And I'm still, right now, I'm still MSNBC, uh, you know, and CNN man. And I listen to a little Fox to get that contrast on, right. on different subjects, you know? Right. But, um, right. But I learned from my guru, you know, guru said, um, when you would red, be red. Let your spine be red. When you would blue, let your spine be blue. But when you get alone, let your spine be normal. So all the stuff that I'm coming in contact with, all this information, because that's what it's about, all mm-hmm. this information, you know, you have to, you know, learn how to cipher through it, but don't let it affect you in a negative way. So that's that's what my you know, and and so over these four years, man, it's it's been keep. I couldn't tell you, man. Like um, I um, I hadn't been around white people since I was a kid, and the white people that I grew up with, the poor white people that I grew up with, you know, they wasn't like the white people I was just meeting. Mm-hmm. I grew up with poor Irish, mm-hmm. poor Italians. I talk about this in the book, you know. Yes, you do. Uh, and, and um. And now I'm meeting like these middle and upper class and, and billionaires, you know, so it's, it's you know, and, and everybody who comes to see me, everybody who's interviewed me over the last four years, when they're done, mm-hmm. I interview them because I can't understand. <laughs> Ask anybody. I can't understand why white folks was so interested in my story. I was so busy. I was so busy living it. I wasn't paying attention to it, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah. And so I pop up in all these magazines and and, and then and this was, the, you know, and I see 
one of the more and they they put me in New York Times uh last one is one of the most influential one of the one most influ one hundred most influential person in the world. I say, wow. wait a minute. I say something's wrong here. <laughs> let me tell you something. Hey Keith, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. This is so, so amazing, right? I was on the front cover of New York Times style section, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And my friends in Harlem see this, they say, damn. They say, damn. They call me Danny or they call me Dap or some call me Danny boy. You know, it depends where uh-huh. I grew up at. Right. They say, damn. Dap is on the front page of the New York Times style <laughs> section and he don't have on handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was more, you know, some people say, my, my best friend say, damn, and you don't have on handcuffs. And then other people say, when he told other people that I was on the front page, first mm-hmm. thing I asked him is say, damn, what he did. <laughs> 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 so that's how far outside I'm living outside of the reality that I was born in. Incredible. You know? So and when it, they come, yeah. I mean, no, no, I mean, this is great. I mean, you, you, you're doing wonderful. And I'm sure that uh, folks who live outside of New York City and outside of Harlem and live throughout the United States, we also have uh, people who listen in Canada and France and the Netherlands and Germany and, and, and other places. And I'm sure that they're finding this to be entertaining because you have been on so many covers. I, I have uh, in the last maybe year or so, uh, I've seen you on maybe about at least 12, 15 different covers. Uh, it, it is yeah. amazing. And to come out of um, where you came from and to be able to enjoy all of this. And, uh, and then there was a while that you were put out of business also. And, yeah. and when you were put out of business, then you sort of had to go underground. And Okay. Let me tell, tell you that story. That. Let me tell you something. First, first, for your international audience, let me tell you about Harlem because it is because of Harlem. Everything that I am is as a result of Harlem. So let me give you a, 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 a little picture of what's that like. You know, so I got my family. I'm, I'm born with two parents. They come from Tiny Town, USA. It's the Great Migration, you know, and, and I'm born after the, the Harlem Renaissance, you know. And I remember being like in, since, you know, I, I blew up, you know, became really popular. I remember being in the Eiffel Tower and hearing people talk about Harlem, you know, and I hear everywhere I go in the world now as a, as a result of, you know, this good fortune that I have now, I hear people talking about Harlem and they relate Harlem as if it is a city, you know, but Harlem is a community. And let me go into that really quickly, right? Sure. So the Harlem, the Harlem that I was born in mm-hmm. was, was a village. Harlem was a village then. It's a community now. And let me tell you the difference between a village and a community. Like when we were growing up, you know, my best friend, uh, Jackie Michaels, was Irish. My other two best friends was Alonzo and Nogordio. They were Greek. And my other friend was uh, Irish, uh, Jackie Michaels. Mm-hmm. So we were all poor together. So this, this soup, this gumbo, you know, and then I had my Puerto Rican friends, William Gonzalez and them. This gumbo is what made Harlem what it is, you know? All the, and, and you will never see this again. You will never see poor Italians, poor Irish, poor Greeks, you know, poor Puerto Ricans, and poor African Americans all together in one small village of a community 
You know, we're not a borough. We're not a city. We are. T- we was a tiny village. You know, right over like a, maybe like from 110th Street to 155th Street from river to river. So can you imagine all that? And that's where we get all this energy from, all this diversity from, all this culture from. So we. we it's, it's a gumbo. And, and I didn't realize that till I started traveling. And I went to Chicago. I say, where the Puerto Ricans at? Where the Irish at? Where the Jews at? You know, but I didn't realize the, the diversity that we had and the state of mind. So I'm, I'm with all these people that's struggling and mm-hmm. coming up simultaneously. So that's what Harlem was. That's the Harlem that I grew up in so that he'd get a picture. Now, let's go forward to me being um, in fashion. So when I wanted to come out the street, I opened up a store, right? Right. When I open up this store so that I can sell high class stuff, um, it's going along fine. I taught myself everything about furs, so I'm selling furs. But I, I, um, I wanted to sell things that other than furs, so that I can have, you know, a more of uh, a different pathway to make money. Mm-hmm. So I started going to the uh, different wholesalers, and they wouldn't sell to me. You know, they, the, you know, the, 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 the Ravella silk shirts and all, all the companies, all the things that was, you know, cause back then it was alligators, crocodile silks, you know, the Frank Sinatra stuff, the, the right. rat pack look, you know? Right, right. So that's what I was catering to, but I couldn't get the people who produced those kind of goods to sell to me. Right. So, uh, Keith, I got really upset, you know, and while I was selling furs, remember Alexander's department store? Oh, yes, and they yes, had the yes. fur and they had the fur vault? Yes. His brother had a place called a fur factory. So somebody introduced me to him and I partnered up with him and I'm getting buying furs from him and I'm doing well with that. So one day he says to me, he said, Look, my nephew and my son are opening up a business. They're going to be selling leather jackets and stuff, a leather business, you know. And his nephew and his son is Andre and Mark, which formed the company Andre Mark, Andrew Mark, oh. you know. Yeah. And so I'm going to them now. Cool, young Jewish guys. We tight, man. Like they on, they was like they came from Harlem. Real cool dudes, right? So remember AJ Lester's? AJ oh, yes. Lester's one of the number one store in Harlem. Mm-hmm. So now I can compete against AJ Lester's because I finally got me an outlet. <laughs> where I can sell luxury stuff. I'm selling these jackets that I'm getting from Andrew Mark. They're leather jackets with a possum lining. And I'm buying them wholesale for 400 selling them for 800 A.J. Lester is selling them for 1200 Yeah. A.J. Lester find out that I'm selling them for 800 Go back and tell Andrew Mark. And then Andrew Mark, the next time I come down there to buy, mm-hmm. Andrew Mark say, yo, Dap, we got a problem. I said, what's wrong, man? We, I'm killing him with the jacket. He said, yeah, man. He said, yeah, man, but I got a problem. He says, A.J. Lester's came in here and gave us a fit and said they will not buy from us anymore if we sell to you. A.J. Lester's have five stores, and Dap, you only have one. He said, now, the only way I can continue this relationship with you is if you take the label out. You know? Uh... You know what I mean? Look, if you're going to buy... Kellogg's cornflakes and Kellogg's is not on the box. It ain't Kellogg's cornflakes. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, oh man, you know, I got frustrated, very angry. And I came uptown and I remembered when I was in Africa, mm-hmm. I had had clothes made by Africans, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, hold up, I'm going to get me some tailors 
and I'm gonna make them same jackets that they wouldn't sell to me. Ah, so that's okay. And that's the birth of the new Dapper Dan luxury uh, custom uh, uh, custom wear, you know? Incredible. Yeah. Well, we've got about a minute and a half before we go to break, and I just want to remind people that uh, you can take What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander along with you to work, home, and on the road. All you have to do is go to the Voice America uh, network, uh, Voice America Talk Radio Network and download the app. It's absolutely free. And just search for What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. You can also go to HarlemAmerica.com to listen live or listen to our podcast at any time. So I'm G. Keith Alexander, and we're sitting here with this. Uh, I mean, this is, this is so great. I'm finally sitting down with my friend, uh, Dapper Dan, and uh, he's telling us a story out of his book, We've uh, got uh, another, I guess, one or two items I, I want to pick from the book, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. I'm G. Keith Alexander. Thank you so much. Don't go away, please. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. Harlem America, where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business, making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. You're listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out, check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, so, Dap, you, um, at one point, you had gotten out of business or was forced out of business. And so you went underground and then all yeah, of a sudden, let's talk uh, about that. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about that because uh, I think that at one point there's a Supreme court justice right now sitting on the bench who, yes. who intersected in your life uh, when you were going through those troubled times. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So now this is similar to the story with Andrew Mark, right? Mm-hmm. So now, I'm in my store. I got the gangsters. The number one gangster in Harlem is working with John Gotti's brother, Gene Gotti. You know, there's a big article came out. In fact, he's the one who told on John Gotti's brother, Gene Gotti, and got him in that 50 years. He just came home recently. from. He did 30 of that, right? Mm-hmm. So he had a big-time gangsters coming to my store, and the number one Harlem gangster who took over after Nicky Barnes, you know? Headline read when he got busted. 
Harlem Connection. And under that there, you know, uh, John Gotti's brother, brother. So this is the kind of uh, gangster clientele that I have coming in, black gangster clientele, right? Mm-hmm. So one day he comes in the store and he got this Louis Vuitton pouch, you know? And, uh, and everybody got excited about it, you know? And he's pulling all these $100 bills out and everything. Everybody pays attention to this guy. And I'm looking at it and they got excited about this pouch because Jack had it. And I'm saying, wait a minute. They excited about that pouch. And I'm looking at that pouch. I have been studying fashion and textiles. And I say, that pouch ain't worth but $7. (laughs) It's not but $7 worth of vinyl. If that much, right? Uh So, And I pay close attention. So as I said, I was studying spirituality and religion. And when you, the further you go back into religion, it vanishes. It goes to a certain point where it disappears up into symbols. So you had to study symbols mm-hmm. to break down, like exactly what the essence of religions is, like the ankh, the cross, the star, mm-hmm. and the crescent. You know all these things. And I, and I studied. So I'm saying these people are attracted to the symbols on that bag. I say now imagine if I can figure out a way to take them symbols <laughs> and put them on leather. And have these same people walking around looking like that bag. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. if I can get them, if I can get them, if I can make body luggage, you know what I mean? So jackets and pants and everything I could think of, right? So I went to work, went back to my, my what I do best. I started studying that angle. I started teaching myself textile printing and mm intensely, everything I could find, everything I could read, go to trade shows, textile shows, everything I could do till I figured out a method of printing an ink on leather that would not fade and then a whole new window would open up. Wow. So I started printing everything. I, everybody was my partner. Gucci was my partner. Cindy was my partner. Louis Vuitton was my partner. <laughs> but they didn't know everybody, it. But they didn't know it. I was the silent partner. <laughs> 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 so I'm making I'm making all these different things, but I'm making them in a way that they've never seen before. So I'm mm-hmm. taking logos and creating this whole new world mm-hmm. with European luxury brand logos, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that they never even thought of. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, uh, I made a brand out of brands, you know. <laughs> so and this is why they call me the, the father of logomania. You know, everything you see today, everybody you see walking around today with all these letters, with all these logos, over, I gave birth to that in the 80s. So mm-hmm. I'm expanding on that. I'm expanding on that. Everything is fine. I'm under the radar. I'm just I'm just selling to rich gangsters. And, and, and then hip hop emerged. And then we end up with a hip hop fighter, Mike Tyson. He's part of that hip hop generation. Right. So Mike Tyson gets in a fight in my store. <laughs> with somebody you know, I remember and that all of, yeah and all of a sudden it's all over the newspaper and then they start seeing these outfits they say Dapper Dan's what the hell is a Dapper Dan and so <laughs> I started getting all this attention now the hip hop as a musical form is going global so they're seeing all these rappers with all this stuff I'm making you know this logo mania that I'm creating and they say hold on oh, oh, wait a minute so they started sending their lawyers after me and they started raiding me. Cease and desist orders to shut me down for trademark infringement, you know? So every time they shut me down, I open up and shut me down. But one day, uh, this uh, young lawyer come in, uh, 
Miss Sotomayor, right? Sotomayor. Yeah, yeah. She's the lead lawyer for Fendi, and hey, is it this? He was like a top rapper at the time. His name is uh, Big Daddy Kane, mm -hmm. and I just had made a plonge, a full length, uh, aquascutum type plonge, uh, leather coat mm -hmm. with. Black mink tux, uh, uh, black drama tuxedo collar, you know, black on black Fendi from shoulder to the bottom. <laughs> she saw that coat. She said, wow, that's amazing. You belong downtown. But she raided me. Anyway, it took everything. And then behind the raids, you know, they, they kept raiding me, raiding me till that's when I went underground. And I was underground for 20 years. 20 All right? years. But they, wow. 20 years. So, but I never gave up, you know, all the rappers, I was the best kept secret. All the rappers kept coming, you know, and then there emerged this, uh, this new thing, stylists. Mm -hmm. So the stylists would come see me and wouldn't tell the rappers where I was at. You know? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, because that would, that would cut their, that would cut their own throat. Was, uh, so Misa rappers, Hilton, was Misa Hilton? Yeah, Misa Hilton. Yeah. And yeah, yeah all, all, all the stylists. Yeah. They used to come see me and I'd hook them up and, they begin to see what this really is. So now I'm underground, and all of a sudden, Gucci Runway shows have one of my creations from the A's mm. and that I made for Diane Dixon, an Olympic star. Mm -hmm. And now, times change. We have social media. Something happened here today. You find out 15 minutes later in Australia. Right. <laughs> social media. So when that hit social media and everybody in Harlem knew that Dapper Dan was the one responsible for that, all hell broke loose. You know, I never knew the power of social media till black Twitter went in on it. <laughs> you know, when black Twitter go in, get out the way. <laughs> you know, the next thing I know, Gucci was making me an offer. You know, they said they was paying me homage and, and I go along with that. Okay, good, and so. Good. And they came. I said, uh, y'all, y'all going to raid me again. Tell my son. They talk, I said, you talk to them, son. I said, no, nah, I ain't messing with them. I said, if they serious, come to Harlem. Gucci came to Harlem. I said, if they serious, let me have my own Gucci store in Harlem. Say, no problem. I said, if they serious, let me make Gucci my way. <laughs> <laughs> they said, no problem. And that's, and, that's, and that's what we have today. We have, I have a partnership with Gucci. I make Gucci my way, you know, the same thing that I was doing back in the day, but with the Gucci fabrics and as a Gucci partnership. And that's what we have today, man. This is a phenomenon. This is a phenomenon because you know what? There's no place in the world that this has ever happened. Here I am a black guy from the corners of Harlem and I don't have no middle, there's no middle road in the white world. I go from the corners of Harlem Selling clothes from the corner of Harlem to the runways of Europe, man. I could not believe it. Get down. Get down. You know? You know? Wow. You know, and, and all the way, I'm reading. I'm reading. Every level they take me to, I'm reading before I get to that level. You know what I mean? Read, read, read. What was it like? I, uh, Gucci came in. They built you this beautiful, what do you call it? A, atelier. A, atelier. Atelier. They, 
and and I've been in it, and it's beautiful. I mean, it is. Oh, gee, it, it, it people have should see the pictures if they don't come up and buy something. That they should see the pictures. But uh, what was it like when they put that huge billboard on 125th and Lenox Avenue and it says Dapper Dan Gucci? What was that like to see to see your name up there on that uh, billboard? And it was up there for months. Man, I took the pictures of that in the rain. In the sunshine, <laughs> at night, at day, at noon. <laughs> no, I mean that was like, it was like, it was a, a, it was phenomenal because people in my community knew who I was, and to see that big billboard up there, it was just amazing. You know, it was amazing at the because it was right on Hunt Twenty Fifth Street. Hunt Twenty Fifth yeah. Street is the crossroad crossroads of black culture. And music for the world. Yes. For the whole world. So, you know, you know, you know they say, you know, a lot of young people don't know, man. So goes Harlem. So goes the whole black world. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like you see the Apollo. Everybody in the world wants to come to the Apollo, you know, right. and now we're doing it for fashion. Everybody looks at fashion. You know, I have a saying like outside of New York, everybody wants to be like New York. But inside New York, everybody <laughs> wants to be like Harlem, man. There you, know? you go. <clears throat> yeah. That, that's why. We launched What's Hot Harlem America with G. Mm-hmm. Keith Alexander because Harlem is such a vibrant place. Our rich culture, uh, our, our small black businesses, our entertainment, uh, it, it, the, the, the food, everyone, you know, 61 million people came from overseas to New York. Uh, I think it was 2018. And millions of those folks came up to Harlem for bus tours, walking tours, to sample the food, to, to see what black people look like. It, it was just it was just wonderful. So you're right. You, you are absolutely right. But let me ask you this. A little, little more. Not just black people, a certain kind of black people. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Harlem yes. has a certain kind of black people. You know, that, that, that energy is like, I'm sorry, America. I'm sorry, world. But that, that energy that we have is just, it's just so amazing. And everybody's responsible for that energy, you know? Uh, yes. Everybody who lives there. Like now, I take walks through Harlem. Listen, you can go through countries by walking through. You go to 116th Street, you're in Africa. You know, you go to 110th Street in Lexington Avenue, you're in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to 159th Street in Columbus and, and, and Broadway, you're in Santo Domingo. You're you know? right. You're right. You know, you go on Broadway and 110th Street, you're in Europe. All you're that right. energy right there, man. You know what I mean? So, and, and we're interacting with each other. And that's how you develop culture. There you go. Well, we've got less than three minutes, and this has really been great. But I want to ask you a little, I want to get a little personal right now, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Your son, Jelani, works with mm-hmm. you. He is brand manager, and uh, he is, uh, I'm sure, a very great asset to your business. But before, yeah. he, but before you wrote the book, I'm sure he didn't know all of the, the, the stories in the book. What was his expression to you after he realized who his dad really was well it's growing on him now he's had experience because when i first like Jelani was born and raised in harlem and when i first bought my brownstone in harlem um it was still uh, heavy with drugs right in my neighborhood Mm -hmm. so i would because all the drug dealers knew me i would walk him straight through the neighborhood so everybody knew he was my son so he could have safe passage when he's not with me Mm-hmm. So he saw it from that perspective. But as he, you know, as he developed, he didn't realize 
the depth to it or the depth of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But now I'm introducing him to my friends and he's hearing conversations on a different level, yes. you know? So now he gets a chance to associate what he's seen with what it was about. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's a great experience for him. And now I'm pushing him hard to chronicle some of the stories. You know, the stories I have is like, go all the way back to uh, the tail end of Bumpy Johnson, straight through Nicky Barnes, and on a street level. And then on a political level, I go all the way back from Marcus Garvey, who my mother was a Garveyite, you know, mm. all the way up to what till today, you know. Mm. So uh, he his political perspective, and then I talk about you know the great black preachers like uh, Prophet Jones, uh, big, uh, uh, Daddy Gray's father divine. I I brief him on all those things. Like I said, my mm-hmm. son, to, I told my son, I say, I want you. To, you're going to go to prep school. You're going to go to all those institutions where middle and upper class white kids go. I said, get that education. I'm going to teach you how to be black. I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about black, <laughs> about black culture. You get that white stuff, you know? Well, that's and so, great. So, and, and so he can navigate. You know, and, he's gonna, and, and it's going to be greater and greater and greater because he's going to have more depth. There you go. You know what I'm saying? There you go. Yeah, there you more go. depth. Well, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to have to leave it there because this has been wonderful. I don't know where the time went. We've got less than two minutes. And uh, I just want to let people know that these wonderful stories that you're hearing right now can be found, some of them in Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem, a memoir. And I'm going to show the book. And I want folks to read up more about Dapper Dan. Yeah. This has been a wonderful experience. And of course, I'll see you on the street. And uh, that's right. <laughs> and I want to thank everyone in, uh, in Harlem and New York and around the country and in other countries for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander on the Harlem America Digital Network. Take care. Thank you so very much. Have a great day and a better one tomorrow. And don't judge your brother or sister too harshly until you've walked a mile in his or her shoes. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening.